Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Back again in the Gospel of John, we've been working our way through the third chapter of the Gospel of John, looking at this great dialogue between Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3, starting with verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. D.L. Moody had the words, God is love, written above his pulpit. Let me tell you how that came to be. When he first began preaching, his zeal for God and his hatred for sin kept him from feeling the full force of these words. At the time, Moody was preaching that God was angry with those who sinned that God stood behind them with a drawn sword ready to cut down those who sinned if they did not repent. You still hear a lot of this mindset today, especially in independent Baptist circles. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. Then Moody met a young Englishman. When Moody first went to England, he met Henry Morehouse. Henry was young. In fact, they called him the boy preacher. But one of the things that made Morehouse stand out was that he believed in teaching God's word line upon line, verse by verse. One day Morehouse told Moody that he would like to go with him to Chicago and preach in his church. Moody said that he looked at this young man and decided he was just too young to preach. And so when Moody came back to the States, he didn't tell Morehouse what boat he was leaving on. And not too long after, Moody received a letter telling him that Morehouse had come to the United States and that he would come out to Chicago and preach if Moody wanted him to. Moody didn't show him a lot of love. He wrote him back a cold letter, but said if Morehouse came to Chicago, he should call on him. Well, sure enough, a few days go by, and Moody received another letter telling him that Morehouse was not only coming, but he would be there in Chicago on Thursday. Well, Moody had a problem. What to do? He still thought Morehouse was too young. Moody himself had to be in another city for a couple days. But he didn't see any way out of it, so he told the leaders of the church to invite Morehouse to speak. And when Moody got home, the first question he asked his wife was how the young preacher had done. His wife told him, He has preached both nights from John 3.16. I think you'll like him. But he preaches a bit differently from the way that you do. Well, this got Moody's attention. He wanted to know more, so his wife told him he tells the people that God loves them and that Morehouse backed up everything he said from the Bible. We need more of that today. 
Hard to believe, but Moody told her that Morehouse was wrong about the love of God, but he would have Morehouse speak again so he could hear for himself. Well, Moody went down to the church, and the first thing that he noticed was that everyone had their Bibles. Morehouse began, My friends, if you will turn to the third chapter of John and the 16th verse, you'll find my text. Morehouse would go on to preach a total of seven sermons from that same text. That last night, Morehouse went into the pulpit. Every eye was upon him, wondering what text he would preach from. He began, Friends, I have been hunting all day for a new text, but I cannot find one so good as the old. So we will go back to the third chapter of John and the 16th verse. Moody said he could never forget the closing words of that night's sermon. My friends, Morehouse had said, For a whole week I have been trying to tell you how much God loves you, but I cannot do it with this poor, stammering tongue. And then he said, If I could borrow Jacob's ladder, climb up to heaven, and ask Gabriel, who stands in the very presence of God, to tell me how much God loves sinners, all he could say would be, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Moody was convinced he changed his understanding of God and the way he taught the Word of God. He now preached that God was behind the sinner with love instead of a sword, and that by rejecting God, the sinner was running away from the God of love. On one occasion, Morehouse told Moody behind closed doors, teach what the Bible says, not your own words, and show people how much God loves them. Good advice for us all. John 3.16, you know, but that is not the question before us. The question is, do you know the love of God? Because if you do not, then I would dare to say that you do not truly know God. You may have trusted him for salvation. I'm not doubting that. But do you know him? Do you know who he says he is in his word? Do you know his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and the peace, the rest that comes from walking day by day with him? Have you allowed his love to change you? Have you allowed his love to change how you live your life? There is no greater summary of God's love than the words of John 3.16. God's truth is centered in the words of this remarkable text. The truth that we can unpack from this simple verse is phenomenal. For God so loved the world. The love of God is unconditional. God is not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9. Those alienated from God, he loves. Those hostile to the work of Christ, he loves. He came for the drug addict, the drunk, and the petty thief. He came for you. It is the whole world that God loves. His love is vast. It doesn't say just the good guys. It doesn't say God loves just the Jews or even that God loves just the saints. It says, God so loved the world, and this unconditional love for mankind is what sets the Christian faith apart from every other religion. God loved the world so much that he gave. The love of God is sacrificial. This is how God chose to show his love. 
he gave. Not by demanding, not by dictating, but by giving, by sacrificing his only begotten son. Here we see the value of the Father's love for us. He gave his only son, only begotten. It does not mean that Jesus was created by God the Father. It simply means one and only. The power and passion of God's love should be understood by the length that God was willing to go to offer us the gift of eternal life. You know, God's love is not just a concept that we talk about. God's love was made manifest in this world through the person of Jesus the Christ, the only Son of the Father. Jesus Christ came into this world to reveal to us the love of God in human form. Whoever believes in the Son will not perish. God the Father sent his Son not to condemn you. He sent the Son to show his love, to draw you into a relationship with him. The text sets before us a glimpse of the heart of God. This is a love that is stronger than death, love that is not willing to let his people go, love that suffers long, love that never fails, love that passes all understanding. The Son came to rescue. He didn't come to punish, he came to pardon. And the gift he offers is eternal life. Eternal life comes at the moment a person believes in Christ. The issue is belief, faith, not behavior. Belief is accepting something, not doing something. The new life offered is a new quality of life. The believer becomes imperishable, free from condemnation, and approved by God. I believe in order to understand John 3.16 as God himself intended, you have to put this into the context of our last study in John. Go back to verses 14 and 15. Read them again with me. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This took us back to Numbers 21. At the time of the text, the nation of Israel was on the borders of the promised land. The people of Israel had been complaining against God, grumbling about the journey. They complained about the manna. They complained when they thought they didn't have enough water, and God had enough of their sin. He sent the fiery serpents. The serpents bit the people, and many, many people died. Be grateful the Lord has chosen not to do this in our age, because we deserve it and much worse. The people were in sin. They were being bitten by fiery serpents. This was the judgment of God because of their sin. The people were dying without hope, just as the Lord instructed. Moses commanded that they make a bronze serpent and put it high up on a pole. It needed to be high so it could be seen by all the people. And if you were bitten by one of these serpents, it was obvious that you had a problem. You were well aware of your need, and all you had to do to live was by faith. Look to the pole to look to God's protection for your life. If you had poison running through your veins, if you had faith in the Lord's provision, your life was spared. 2 Kings 18 teaches that the day came when the people took this bronze serpent and burned incense before it until Hezekiah smashed it into pieces some 800 years after the events of Numbers 21. And what Jesus said here in John, pay close attention to the wording, as Moses lifted up. And further in the verse, we see the words, even so. These words represent a parallel teaching. 
Jesus taught this Hebrew scholar the value of Old Testament typology and the parallel. It should be obvious. Christ was lifted up on the cross of Calvary for all who are dead in their sins. There is life for those who look to the cross with faith for their salvation. The cross provides a cure from the poison of sin, deliverance from the death of sin, and the removal of the condemnation of sin. The Son of Man must be lifted up in order that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is God's way of providing life to all who believe. And so you can see how the teaching flows out of this from verse 14 all the way to verse 16. You know, when God looks at our world, he sees the things that we try to ignore. He sees the hurt, the shame, the misery, the meaninglessness of life. He watches the murder, the violence, the hatred, the bitterness, the anger and greed. He observes child abuse, famine, death, tears, and fear of every kind. As he watches, he notes that much of the anguish and suffering that we go through is caused by our own sin. We have ruined the gift of creation and life, and so much of the agony we suffer is directly related to the choices we have made. Not all of it, but this destruction of his design, it is sin, and it is ugly to God. Sin is ugly to God. But the beautiful message of the cross is that God did not respond to mankind with anger. You'd expect him to, but he responded with love. God reached out to man and took on himself the just result of sin. He took on death. He died because of his perfect love for us. Listen to the testimony of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 4, 5. But to him who does not work, But what? Believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. You know, back in Numbers for the people of Israel, no matter how bad they had been bitten, no matter how sick they were from the poison running through their veins, the opportunity for salvation was there. And so it is that for even the most degraded and miserable sinner, whoever looks to Christ will be saved. It is faith in the message of Christ on the cross and his resurrection that opens the door to eternal life. You don't have to work up your faith to some standard. You just need to have it. God doesn't save us once we clean up our lives to be good enough for him. He doesn't save us after we've made ourselves righteous. He saves us in our sin just as we are, and he saves us from our sin. Titus 3, 5. Our salvation came not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. God's offer of salvation is by grace through faith alone. Not through church, not through religion, not your works. Believe and know the salvation of God. Everything that Jesus came to accomplish is grounded in the love of God. And the point of verse 16 is that the mission of God the Son to die upon the cross is the consequence of God's love. That's what this statement means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. 
This is the love of the Father. It is love that is stronger than death. And the wording indicates an intense love. It represents the greatest gift ever given, the sacrifice of his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem for the Jews was that they got prideful, thinking that God's love was only for them. And a very big part of the reason Jesus was hated so much by the religious leaders was because he came along saying that the love of God extends to every man and every woman. For Nicodemus and the Jews, there was not much in their theology which allowed for God to love the world. And this statement here in John was intended to broaden the Jewish understanding that God loves the people of the world. This text sets before us a glimpse into the heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the universal love of God. Without exception, God loves each person in this world. The Apostle John would go on to testify in 1 John 2 that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Hebrews 2.9 tells us that Jesus tasted death for every man. Despite our wretched condition in sin, God loves. We are born children of wrath, alienated from God, but yet he loves because he is rich in mercy and grace. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is real hope in these words, but how tragic it is that so many never hear or believe these words of hope and life. I believe that this grieves the very heart of God because they die never truly knowing how much God loves them. Listen to the words of Ezekiel 18. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. The mission of the Son is salvation for those who believe in Him. God is calling on men and women to trust in His Son. For those who reject the free offer of eternal life, those who reject the grace of God, God will allow sin to complete its work beyond the grave. Their sin will continue on to ravage their souls. They will never be satisfied. They will never find peace in hell. This is the final condition of the unredeemed completely alienated from God, and God's desire is to save you from this. Henry Ironside once pointed out that for those in Christ, we can rightly say, God loved, God gave, I believe, and I have everlasting life. Verse 17 clarifies the mission of the Son. Read it again. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God gets a bad rap. Some people think that God is just angry and that he cannot wait to destroy the world. But verse 17 teaches us that the very purpose of sending the Son into the world was to save the world through him. God's purpose and the mission of Jesus was to bring salvation to the world. 
The teaching is that when God the Son stepped off his throne the first time to come to earth, it was the love of God that he came to reveal. He didn't come to condemn, he came to save. But let us understand when he steps off the throne a second time, when he comes again, it will be God's wrath that he will come to reveal. Christ will judge the world when he comes the second time. But he did not come to condemn the world because the people of the world already stood condemned. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ came as the Savior of men. Notice again this statement, but that the world through him might be saved. It echoes the words that Paul wrote to Timothy that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. I think you should know that because the Greek language did not use quotation marks, the debate rages about our text, whether these are still the direct words of the Savior to Nicodemus, or are they words inspired by the Spirit recorded by the Apostle John years after this event with Jesus and Nicodemus. I tend to think that these are still the direct words of Christ to Nicodemus, but my confidence is in the truth that either way, whether Spirit-inspired or directly from the Son, these are the very words of God. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When Steve Henning of Huntley, Illinois, was just two years old, he came down with spinal meningitis. This was back in the winter of 1943, and because of World War II, doctors had a severe shortage of penicillin, and they could not provide Steve with the treatment he needed. As a result, Steve lost his hearing. For 57 years, Steve could not hear music. He could not hear laughter. He could not hear people speak to him. Even though he lived a full life, he longed to be able to hear the voices of those that he loved. And in the winter of 2001, he learned of a surgical procedure that would allow sound waves to bypass the part of the ear that wasn't working, allowing the sound waves to travel directly to the auditory nerve. He had the operation, but because the implanted device could not be activated until the swelling in the ear actually went down, doctors and Steve didn't know if the operation was a success for six long weeks. The day of reckoning finally came. Steve could hardly wait to see if the operation had worked. And as the doctor programmed the implant, the doctor invited Steve's wife to say something to Steve. Pat Henning leaned toward her husband and gently said, I love you. Able to hear for the first time in six decades, Steve's face broke into a smile. The first words that he heard were of love. God starts with love toward man. This was true in the garden. This was true for the nation of Israel. And this is true today. Love is what he is offering and the life that is found in him. But what does he do when that love is rejected? Verse 18 is the answer. The gospel of Christ brings division. On the one side are those who believe in Christ for salvation. And on the other are those who do not believe. They stand condemned 
already. Don't miss the word, already. He who does not believe is condemned, already. The Bible teaches us that it is a lack of faith in Jesus the Christ that brings about the condemnation of God. To be sure, the wages of sin is death, and we all, apart from Christ, are guilty, lost, and condemned. But the man or woman without faith, they add to their guilt, they stack it on by not believing in the name of Jesus. It is like a man sitting in a prison who is offered a pardon. If the man accepts the pardon, he is free. And if he does not, his condemnation is his own fault. And that is really the point here. We are not on trial in this life. We're already condemned, already sentenced to death, already imprisoned and in bondage to sin. But the pardon is offered. And the only question that remains is what will you do with that pardon? Those that continue to reject the offer already stand condemned. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, he would have been expecting a Messiah that would come as a judge. Rightly so. Daniel 7, the Son of Man coming to judge the world. Psalm 45, Christ will rule the world in righteousness. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 42, Christ is the righteous judge. But to Nicodemus and the Pharisees, Jesus was announcing that on the first go-around, the Father did not send him to judge the world. That day is coming. But the message of John 3 is that God the Father has built a bridge of reconciliation through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That whosoever would walk across that bridge by trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their sins, those individuals can walk across that bridge to the newness of life. The problem is not that God will not save all men. The problem is that men refuse to accept the atonement of the Son. If you had a sickness, if you had a disease that could be cured by taking medicine, but you absolutely refuse to take the medicine the doctor had prescribed, whose fault is it when you die? At that point, you are no better than the men of Israel who rejected the provision of God in Numbers 21 to be saved from the fiery serpents. The rejection of God's love brings judgment. It brings condemnation. It is something that men and women bring upon themselves because by not choosing Christ, they choose eternal separation from God. And here is why this is important. Condemnation is not to be thought of as something that will come upon those without Christ in the future. It's here now. You stand condemned for refusing to believe on the name of Christ. Three times in verse 18 alone, Jesus refers to the necessity of believing in him. The only remedy, the only cure for your sickness is the redemption found by placing your faith in the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Rescue from this condemnation comes through Christ. Over 160 times, the New Testament tells us that eternal life is by faith alone in the message of Christ. But pride sneaks in. Pride says we need to do something, and it is because of this that most will choose religion instead of regeneration. Our last three verses, starting in verse 19. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because... Their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, 
that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. This self-inflicted condemnation is explained to us with the words light and darkness. Light has come into the world. This is the incarnation of Jesus the Christ. Remember what we read in chapter 1 from John speaking of Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus is the revelation of God, and the problem is that men and women love darkness rather than light. Men and women prefer to live without the knowledge of God. Men and women prefer to live without knowing about the purity and holiness of God. And the reason is simple. Their deeds are evil, worthless. Men don't want to live by the truth. They value their pride more than humble faith. But it's worse than this. Verse 20 teaches us that men hate the light. They literally hate Jesus Christ and refuse to trust in him. They refuse to come to him. Why? Because they don't want to have their sin exposed. People hate the light of Christ because of what the light reveals. The idea here is of the shame and the conviction at the thought of having their sins exposed, at the thought of having their empty lives exposed. The other option found in verse 21 is to do the truth. This was a first century figure of speech which meant to act faithfully. This is the person living in the light of Christ. This person is living in the light of God. In harmony with the Savior, this person has been reconciled by faith. The point of this text is to contrast those who reject the ultimate revelation of God in Jesus Christ and those who are living in the light of Christ. Verse 21 is moving beyond just redemption. This is the person with faith, but they also choose to identify with Christ before men. This is the message that Nicodemus needed to hear. Nicodemus was being challenged to come out in the open with his faith in the Messiah of Israel. Back in the 1500s, most people did not have a Bible that they could read. The Catholic Church controlled the translating of Scripture and offered it only in Latin. While I'm not a fan of much of the theology and belief system held to by Martin Luther, he did work hard to make a translation available to the German people in their language. When his translation of the Bible was being printed, the work was being done by a man who cared very little for its message, and pieces of the printer's work was allowed to fall carelessly upon the floor of his shop. One day the printer's daughter came in. She picked up a piece of paper where she found the words, God so loved the world that he gave. And what followed, the rest of the verse, had not yet been printed. Up to this time in her life, she, like a lot of people, had been taught that God was only to be feared and was only approachable through penance. The very thought that God so loved the world that he gave imparted a new understanding of the nature of God to her. It gave her joy. It gave her hope. The thought that God would give her anything moved her. Her mother asked the reason for her joy. Putting her hand into her pocket, the girl pulled out the little crumpled piece of paper and showed it to her mother. And her mother wanted to know what does it mean God so loved the world that he gave? What was it that he gave? The child was perplexed only for a moment. And then she said, I don't know what it was that he gave. But if he loved us well enough to give anything, 
we need not be afraid of him. The opening words of John 3.16 printed on that scrap piece of paper changed how she looked at God. And what people read in our lives can change how others look at our God as well. It has been wisely said we may be the only Bible anyone ever reads, but that will only be true if we learn to imitate the God that we say we love. The challenge in this text for those of us in Christ is to make sure that everything we do is lived out through faith in Christ. We need to continue to live with that same faith that we had in Christ when we first believed. Believe in Jesus, because even though he knew no sin, he became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Believe in Jesus, for God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And believe in Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let the Lord be your strength, your salvation, and your life. If you're listening to this broadcast online, make sure you don't miss another broadcast by subscribing, either in iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. And if you are listening in iTunes, leave us a review. It helps to let others know that this is a broadcast that is worth listening to. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.